Welcome to the Final Ghost Podcast. This is Anna, co-founder of the Final Ghost Collective and your podcast host. Every season, we explore the intersections of horror film and feminism, looking at a particular trope in depth. And currently, we're about halfway through our series dedicated to the most elegant and the horniest of movie monsters, the vampire. In each episode, I'm joined by a special guest to dive deep into a vampire movie or two. We discuss the films in detail, try to contextualize them, and talk about what works and what doesn't. Today's episode, we've got the strangest of double bills, with two 90s vampire films that sit somewhere in between art house and horror. I'm joined in this episode by the wonderful Zena Dixon, the editor-in-chief of Real Queen of Horror and an absolute joy to talk to. First up, we discuss Guillermo del Toro's first feature film, Kronos, the mysterious vampire film that never actually uses the word vampire. It's a gorgeous, timeless film featuring one of the most beautiful and also one of the creepiest horror props I've ever seen. And if you're a fan of Del Toro's work and you haven't seen this one, do you seek it out? Following that, we dive into a bizarre little gem from the 1990s wave of indie American cinema, exec produced by David Lynch and featuring a stunning cast including Peter Fonda, Martin Donovan, Jared Harris, and in the lead, Elena Lovenson. Nadja is a take on the Dracula story that goes full deadpan indie. Imagine a Portishead music video directed by Jim Jarmusch with vampires. That's kind of the vibe. This vampire season is entirely made possible with the support of our video who bring out the very best in cult horror and genre films and specialize in deluxe home entertainment editions with newly commissioned artwork and special features. Their collection is huge now with more than 500 physical releases and throughout the season we are recommending a film that we love from their collection. This week, our pick is also a lesser-known entry into the filmography of a very well-known director and one of my own very favorites. It's Phantom of the Paradise, directed by Brian De Palma. And it's sort of a gothic rock opera retelling of the Phantom of the Opera story. It's insane. It's gorgeous. It's got great tunes. Alongside our regularly scheduled vampire-themed programming, we're, we're also putting out bonus episodes over on our Patreon feed, so if you are interested in checking that out or you want to support us, do head over to patreon.com forward slash the final girls. There'll be some goodies there for you. And with that said, if you are new to this podcast, please know that we discuss the films in detail pretty much from the very beginning. So if you're averse to any discussion of a film before you watch it, consider this your spoiler warning. And if you don't really mind, then please enjoy our discussion about these indie vampire gems. Zena, welcome back to the podcast. It's so lovely to speak to you again. It's so awesome to speak to you as well. Thank you again for bringing me back. Oh, it's amazing. And uh, I remember that the last time we spoke, we ended up talking about Kronos. I can't remember why. <laughs> <laughs> so this episode had your name all over it from the very beginning. Yes, yeah, so true. So true. I, I always just try to find a reason to mention Kronos. So... <laughs> 
<laughs> um, so before we dig into the two films that we're going to be talking about in this episode, I just wanted to ask you kind of what is your own relationship with vampire films? Is it a, is it a subgenre of horror that you like? It is. It, it really is. I don't really feel like I get to watch them lately as much as I would love. Mm-hmm. But um, one of the first vampire movies I've ever checked out was actually Kronos. Oh, and it's a very different type of mm-hmm. vampire movie. Um, but, you know, I've always had a love for uh, The Lost Boys, Vampire in Brooklyn, Salem's Lot, miniseries. I know there's a little cheese, but there's just mm. something about it that I just really love. And what do you think is it about vampires that kind of make them such an interesting movie villain or monster? I mean, they are pretty magical. You know, they get to live forever. <laughs> and <laughs> sure, they're like sucking the lives out of people. Um, but it seemed like that's that's pretty exciting, like an exciting type of lifestyle. I mean, I would never. And I would never. But, you know. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to say I would never. I probably would, to be fair. I probably would. Yeah. I know. I know myself enough. <laughs> It's like I, I, I know there, there, there's there been like, you know, sometimes people would bring up the conversation because, you know, mm. people love to talk about, oh, if you could live forever like mm-hmm. a vampire, that would be so cool to do that. But, of course, I wouldn't want to be alone. I would want, you know, some, some family, some friends, you know, we can all just do it together. Yeah. But I don't see myself wanting to, like, kill someone. I mean, can't we just go to the blood bank? Like, <laughs> is- <laughs> Yeah, if there was like a, a system in place, like in that um, film called Daybreakers with Ethan Hawke, yeah. it's like just have a, have a little feeding system in place, a dispensary of some sort. Right. And to be honest, I'd probably just spend the rest of my life just staying at home and reading. You could get so much reading done. You would read everything. Uh, yeah, because that's the, that's the main thing that kind of, I mean, that's how nerdy i am the main thing that plagues me in in my life is that i'm not going to be able to have time to read everything i want to read oh okay (laughs) let's let's not go into the sad state of affairs (laughs) (laughs) but um so let's dig into the first film that we're going to chat about chronos uh from 1993 that Kronos was one of the first vampire films you've seen so when was yes. the first time you watched it and and what what made you love it so much whoa okay I think maybe I was five whoa 
right? <laughs> and we, we talked about this before, but my mm. mom, she's a huge horror fan. So whatever she watched, I watched. And that's just, you know, we're, that's what best friends do. They watch things together. And she was, you know, she still is like my mm. best friend, you know? So um, I remember it's so crazy because I, I, I couldn't remember the name of the mm. movie. And I recently rediscovered, well, not so recently, it was like probably mm-hmm. like eight years ago, mm-hmm. I rediscovered it because, you know, sometimes when you watch a movie, obviously like a long time ago, and you can't remember the name, you can't remember the director mm-hmm. and actor. In it. And plus, it's like, I was five when I first watched it. So I really wasn't paying attention to who directed it or who starred in it. But there was a particular scene that I remembered. And um, a while ago, Kronos, I'm not too sure if it's still on Hulu. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was on Hulu and I saw like a picture of it and it was kind of showing uh, like the metal, the golden beetle thing, mm-hmm. you know? And I was like, oh my God, that's that movie. Because I feel like I've been looking for it forever, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I just fell, I re- like just fell in love with it. And yeah, it was just, it was just one of those things. And, you know, with the director, with Del Toro, it's just mm-hmm. so crazy that this, this was, this is like his first feature. Like, yes. how are you that awesome? <laughs> <laughs> and he was, he was 20, wait, he was 29 when this film was released. So he was yeah. like in his late 20s when he made it. Right. And it's just like, that's how you know that someone is so awesome. And I, I don't want to, as much as I love the movie, mm-hmm. I know it's not perfect, perfect. You know, there's some things, but for the most part, it's just very well layered and mm-hmm. great storytelling visually it's on point the actors have great direction like the set design oh like it's oh just... we're gonna talk about the set design right <laughs> so before we dig into the detail kind of um was this i mean you were five so yes this was the first dull horror film that you watched but yes <laughs> um since yuri watched it and he's made a lot more films kind of what is your what is your relationship with his cinema like would you love his work i do love his work but of course there are some movies that i'm not a huge fan of mm-hmm. when it comes to him but there's still a deep deep appreciation mm-hmm. um for certain like visuals and, and the layering of the storytelling and just the way he's able to engage people mm-hmm. So not saying that, that, that I hate it or anything, like as an example, mm-hmm. I'm not the biggest fan of uh, The Shape of Water, uh-huh. but I do think that it is a stunning film. Like mm-hmm. I actually ran out and I bought like one of those um, pop dolls, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because it's it's just so beautiful and it's mm-hmm. just like a, a reminder. Um, I just aspire to be just like. Mm. as awesome as del toro you know yeah yeah and did you notice kind of having seen um the work that he's done after chronos and maybe kind of looking back now that we've rewatched it um i don't know how many times i've seen this film i think maybe Mm -hmm. this is my third or fourth time watching it oh wow um do you notice any themes or or kind of stylistic choices that come up in his cinema over and over again I love that he, when there's a child in his movies, it's kind of like a fairy tale, mm. like a dark fairy tale and that the kids are innocent. Mm. And I actually rewatched um, Pan's Labyrinth a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago and with the main uh, girl, or- Orphelia, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I wanted to fight her, but just <laughs> some of 
some of her decisions. We'll 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 get back to those mm-hmm. grapes, you know. But um, she was just, you know, she's an innocent child, mm-hmm. and um, her hairstyle is the same as the little girl in Kronos, right, and it's yeah. you know, yeah, and it, and it's kind of like they're in like a storybook, and I love how he. I don't know if he loves the color red mm-hmm. because I've noticed quite often red is always just very much in his films. Here, red is mostly used for blood, mm-hmm. but also it's it's quite sparingly used. Like it's not a very bloody film, is it, for a, a vampire horror film? No, no, not at all. And, you know, that's that's one of those things where I, I felt that it's just like a different type of vampire mm-hmm. horror um I, I love like the just the whole story like it's mm. just beautiful so what do you think of it kind of uh, as a, as a vampire film that never uses the word vampire and that kind of doesn't fall into a lot of the the tropes that we've become used to mm-hmm. in and kind of watching vampire horror films i i love it I kind of wish that I've always felt that Kronos, that there should have been some type of sequel. Mm. Um, perhaps obviously not with the same family, but with that still that same beetle thing. I know it has a name, but you know, the beetle thing sounds cool. The, the, the beetle device. Yeah. <laughs> I don't actually think it's given a name. Well, it's a Kronos device, right? Right, right. That's that's what I just assumed mm. that it was. But yeah, yeah, you're right. They never, ever say exactly what mm. it is. What do you mean? You mentioned um, the little girl before, um, but what do you make of the of the characters of the film, especially Juan Gris, who's the who's our protagonist, who is also quite an unusual protagonist. Mm-hmm. I love that they um, that he's like an older man, mm. you know, and that this is his story. May he rest in peace. Um, I felt that. You know, when it comes to like, and I was kind of talking about this last night, mm. elderly horror, you know, yeah. um, you know, like uh, the taking of Deborah Logan. Yeah. Um, yeah. The visit relic that just uh-huh. came out 2020, you know, um, and then even uh, anything for Jackson, you know. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of like I felt like it was a different approach because he seems very happy with his life. Mm-hmm. He's happy with his age. You know, he has a beautiful wife. He has his granddaughter. You know, he has a great little shop. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it didn't seem like his age was a, a problem. Mm-hmm. Even when he did find out about this particular device, I, it just, it's, it's like he just became kind of addicted to it. Mm-hmm. But I, I kind of like that he, that it's about him. And at the same time, even though it's his story, um, I feel like his granddaughter, she plays like a major role in a major part in this film. Hmm. What do you make about their relationship? I think it's so adorable. It's so cute. Like, it? right. And even rewatching it, it's like I knew where it was going. Obviously, I watched it so many times. But, you know, they, they, she just felt like super safe with him. And not that she she has a horrible relationship with her grandma, but. They don't seem like they're as close. It seems like he has an understanding, you know, of, you know, who she is. Like, just because she's a little kid doesn't mean... Because, you know, sometimes some people feel like, oh, just a little kid, you don't have to listen to them. Mm-hmm. But obviously they have feelings, you yeah. know? They have feelings and they have little personalities and it just seemed like he got her. And yeah. you could just see and feel the love. And I love what you mentioned about kind of um, our protagonist, Juan, not 
one being quite content with his life because right. you're right like he's he's not kind of going after immortality he's not wanting anything more he's kind mm-hmm. of got quite a a nice chill routine he's fine with his life mm-hmm. and this device and this you know the the possibilities and the powers and also the the addictive elements of this chronos device are sort of land in his lap really accidentally like he doesn't pick it but interestingly this is a moment that kind of comes up a lot in vampire movies you know kind of being turned into a vampire against someone's will Mm -hmm. but in it's usually quite a uh, a violent and sometimes almost erotic moment where you know someone is attacked there's like a biting of the blood or there's an exchange of blood but this is like quite this is extremely different because it's literally him just doing his job, just cleaning up some antiques and finds this beetle device thingy. Right. And like, it's just this object that doesn't really have, I mean, it's kind of implied to have a, a will of its own, but mm-hmm. this object attacks him. So I was wondering kind of what do you make of this, of his transformation into a vampire-like figure? Mm-hmm. It's... Okay, what I, what I thought was really cool, just mm. leading into that, is when he finds the the beetle object. Mm-hmm. You know, it it looks cool. I'm not gonna lie. You know, sometimes when you're watching movies and it's like, oh my gosh, I would never do that. Honestly, if I found something like that, I would be, I would do the same thing. And so I love the fact that you that you stated that it's not something that he did on purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, so I love the way it like leads up to that particular moment Hmm. that makes sense yeah and i'm sorry i I was talking so much what was your question (laughs) (laughs) no and my question was really like you lead into it beautifully because my question really was a long-winded question was what do you make of that that scene where that device kind of attacks him Ooh, yeah like um it's, it's crazy because again you know we we watch a lot of horror movies, right? But mm-hmm. it's like I could like feel that piercing, you mm, know? Yeah. Th- that is just such a terrifying moment. Like the way it just injects him. And it's mm-hmm. just like, okay, as a viewer, we don't know. This thing is just tightly gripping onto him. We don't know if it's like putting something in him, you know, and which obviously we learn later. There's like some type of pus or whatever, mm-hmm. but just like the the way the needle is inserted in his skin as if it's like some type of like insect Mm. it kind of freaks me out and yeah yeah, and and i love the way it was even shot because we were able to see inside of the device and it was kind of like a clock you know it's yeah i love what i love i mean i i love is a strong word but you're kind of making me relive the scene and Mm -hmm. i'm not gonna lie not enjoying reliving it uh because it is really gross (laughs) it is like uh but it was just like again i guess it's kind of cool because it's it's like okay it's realistic Mm. because i think if any of us found something like that and it's like even though that thing it it looks a little weird it's pretty so Yeah, I'll be very curious about it. And I think I'm pretty sure I would do the same thing. What do you make of like, you mentioned it a little bit before, but it is really beautifully designed. And I think mm-hmm. kind of this, there's a couple of things, like a couple of props in this film that I, oh. 
like the Kronos device itself, and then also mm-hmm. the Alchemist book, which I found so beautiful. Oh, it is. Like, right? What do you make of? I mean, we're kind of both gushing about how pretty it is, but Del Toro has this thing where he makes grotesque things really mm-hmm. beautiful. And what do you make of the design of this vampiric al alchem? Well, I don't know if that's a word of this vampiric device. Again, it's we keep saying it. It's gorgeous. It's mm. beautiful. It. I. I think it was. I wish I could remember exactly, but a long time ago, um, I watched this interview with him, and he was talking about like when he was a, a kid and how mm. living in Mexico, and there were a lot of women at the time. They used to wear like these beetle type of brooches, mm-hmm. and honestly, I think that this movie created, um, you know. Is the reason why I love brooches so much? <laughs> because you know it's 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 so classy, and mm. you know I'm, I'm still searching for a beetle brooch, you know, similar to to this one. But I I love that it's something that it looks like it's it's worth something. Mm. It looks old, but you know I feel like it. I think that anybody would would stop in their tracks if they saw something like this. Mm. Like the details of it, not just only like the etching kind of like on the outside, but then the inside of it. There's this like a, I don't know if that's like a heartbeat. I don't know what that is in there. You know, we can see the blood flowing through it. It's just really just, again, beautiful and just cool looking. It's beautiful, but there's like that element of something grotesque and slightly horrific that's on the mm-hmm. inside. That's sort of tease. Like we never really get a full picture of what's inside of it. And I really, I kind of appreciate that. I don't really want to understand the whole mythology of the device because it mm-hmm. works because it is mysterious. Right. And it's kind of magical or infused with magic or I don't know if you got this feeling but I got the sense that that device kind of had an element of agency to it where it was picking who it latched onto that's true wow yeah because obviously uh well we'll talk about him but the other Mm. guy who was just searching for it for years and he he never found it but yeah like it's just it's just so it's like hypnotic mm-hmm. you know like when 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 you look at it and like you said but still creepy but i don't know i even though after watching the movie and know what kind of device that is mm. i would love to have that in my house oh i would once i would 100 pick it up if i like found it on the street yeah <laughs> um, but one of the things that i really love i was reading up about this film in i've got this big del toro book mm-hmm. um that kind of talks about his collections and his house and how he designs his films yes. and there was this thing that he was talking about which i loved because it's such a nerdy thing to do and <laughs> i relate to it so intensely he said that he always and i never thought about it until i read this quote but it's true he says that he always puts a book in his film that's like a central point in the narrative mainly Ooh. so he gets to keep the book afterwards <laughs> like the prop <laughs> that's cool i love him i love him so much it's adorable but um one of the before i ask you about the characters i just love this the preparation that goes into his films and the fact that he made it so young, like this was his first film, fully independent, um, mm-hmm. kind of fairly low budget feature. Um, and he was like a props and a, and a makeup artist. Um, uh, He was a makeup artist before he became a, a director. Mm-hmm. 
And I love, I read as well that he was so skinned when he was making the film that he was, I think, staying in LA and in a hotel that was like 300 bucks for a month. Oh. <laughs> and the plumbing would not work so he sometimes had to go and get a room in another hotel so he could shower so he'd have oh. to pick between eating and showering uh, on some days and apparently like um, James Cameron took him out to lunch one day and said just you know just order whatever you want and he just stuffed himself with stuff oh. it's like you know I'm gonna get all the drinks I'm gonna get all the food this is the most food I'm gonna have for like a week <laughs> and <laughs> to kind of return the favor he gifted him his Kronos notebook. It's like the notebook where he would essentially take all the notes, do his designs, his drawings, his sketches, like make notes in the script and stuff like that. And he still hasn't recovered it. Like James Cameron still has it somewhere. And in this book, he was sort of thinking, well, he hasn't moved since then. So I'm hoping it's kind of somewhere buried like the holy, like the holy grail or like the goblet of whatever, um, like buried somewhere in James Cameron's house. And potentially maybe he can recover his original sketches. I hope so. Like, you know what? I think that I think that he knows where it is. Oh, my God. Do you think he's just like keeping on to it yeah I think he just wants to keep it <laughs> that's what I would do I mean I would too so <laughs> um but I'd love to talk to you more about the characters and you mentioned Dieter who's like this mysterious millionaire who really wants to mm -hmm. get his hands on the on the Kronos device yeah and also um the amazing Ron Perlman, who plays yes. like his nephew slash henchman. What do you make of the the bad guys <laughs> of the film? Um, Dieter. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing yeah. because he. <laughs> no, I get it. <laughs> he stayed in a in a freezer, like. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it it, it looks pretty cozy, though. I'm not gonna lie, especially his bed with like the sheer like sheet thingies. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. it pretty comfy. It, it's very it's very the hunger, very Tony Scott. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it just seemed like, you know, okay, I didn't like him, but mm -hmm. obviously that's the goal. He played a great villain, a great bad guy who's putting all of his money, all of his time and sending his nephew out there um, to retrieve or, or, or to find this, you know, device that he saw or read in a book mm. 40 years ago. He's just holding on to hope, wearing gloves. You know, um, he just seems to be like a complete germaphobe. Like it's, it, I believe it. I believe him, you know, <laughs> um, he's, he's a psycho millionaire. Um, and then with his nephew, you know, played by Ron Perlman. I just love Ron Perlman. I mean, he's, the best. Right. And I love like, even with Del Toro, how he always like has him in his films mm -hmm. often. It's like, oh, is he your muse? That's beautiful. This is such a cute, they're, they're so cute together. And this was the first time they worked together. Right. Yeah. It's and, like, they're a great team. Yeah. And apparently, uh, this was like Ron Perlman's first independent feature. Which is so insane. I know. Considering that, like, I, I, this was not the first Ron Perlman film that I ever saw, but I'd always kind of seen him in quite indie films, like really out there Ooh. stuff. And yeah, he credits Del Toro a lot with kind of inspiring him to work with more first time filmmakers and like independent features and more out there people because he had so much, he had so much fun making Kronos. 
that's beautiful. I just like I love them. I right? want them to have like a podcast, a talk show, something. Yeah, they should. They should have like yeah, definitely a podcast. I was gonna say a reality show. I mean, but yes, definitely a podcast. <laughs> where they just hang out with each other. I'd I would watch it. I would listen. Whatever. Yeah. But then even with Ron Perlman's character, um, it's Angel. Mm-hmm. I know that they, they, you know, I can't. Yeah. Anyway, Angel. Um, <laughs> he's he's an insecure man who's just waiting for his uncle to die. Yeah, that's pretty you much know, it. He, he, yeah, he wants his money. He wants his nose job. Um, <laughs> I kind of love that little side story because he's just yeah. so terrible you know um and i love when we're when we kind of the way he interacts with aurora Mm -hmm. you know i just think that that's like super cute because i hear i'm thinking oh maybe he won't be that bad but you know he is yeah and he's so petty and rude (laughs) like the scene when he he, like he he's he can speak spanish but he Mm -hmm. just does this thing and they you know use it till the very end of the film which i think is just like the rudest thing you know when someone federica lupi's character clearly isn't speaking english or like maybe chooses not to i don't know because he seems to understand him um but rom angel is just kind of continues talking in english at him Mm. and then occasionally switches to spanish and i'm a bit is this what kind of like this little power game thing right it's just it's just looking bad on (laughs) you may and on top of that he carries around like a picture of like no well pictures of noses you know i love that (laughs) (laughs) there's not many actors who can pull off that level of camp and be completely serious and still kind of menacing ron perlman is one of those actors oh for sure Um, and we kind of talked a little bit about Juan as a character, but what do you make of of Lupi's performance as the lead? I think that he does a great job, you know, because again, when you first meet him, you when we first meet him mm-hmm. and everything, um, you just automatically love him. He's like everybody's grandpa, sweet grandpa, you know. Um, but then even when he's going down that dark path, that dark road, it's like no you know Mm -hmm. and you feel for aurora because she's she's doing what she can you know she's i love how she observes and everything but i think that he did like seriously a fantastic job this was actually my first time Mm -hmm. uh seeing him seeing pretty much all of the actors even you know ron perlman but no I, i felt like he carried the film like whenever i think about this movie if i'm not thinking about you know that beautiful beetle i think about his performance he's got such a warm presence on camera mm-hmm. doesn't he even when he's kind of becoming a bit more um well yeah. a little bit more unhinged and a little bit more driven by bloodlust and mm-hmm. well i'd i kind of had forgotten because i haven't rewatched this film in a little while how the fact that he dies midway through and then mm-hmm. is resurrected and he starts decaying pretty quickly so like, yeah. what do you make of the design of the um, let's just call them vampires because that's what they well that's what mm-hmm. they kind of are i felt like it looked i know vampires aren't real and i know there's some people who be like no they are but <laughs> it, it's my opinion but um i feel like it looks realistic because um it, like the way he was the way his flesh was just rottening and then underneath it which we you know saw a little bit later like the, the it was like pearl white yeah like marble 
Yeah. It it looked so gross, but mm. you just can't help but just keep staring at like he can't walk around like that. He can't live like that. Mm. But I know like uh Dieter did say that, oh well you need blood and you know, maybe he would have looked normal. But I don't know. But I, I like I visually I love the way it looks uh, looked because I do feel like it's unique and in some ways I do feel that it looks it looked like a very looked a little more um I don't want to say creepy beautiful, mm. but <laughs> creepy beautiful. It's it's a it's a very specific niche, Zena. I think I know what, what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you get me. <laughs> so um like there is something that I found like he never really becomes menacing, even when he's mm-hmm. kind of fully undead and transformed. Mm-hmm. And part of that really is his relationship with Aurora and how he never crosses that line to harm her. Like he really right. um contains himself when he's faced with essentially the options. Like you can you can live forever and mm-hmm. be like this if you kill her. Or um or you need to need to die yourself and kind of take this device right. with you. Um so what did you make of the of the ending? Um it made me sad. And, <laughs> you know, because you, again, you, you were rooting for his character, but kind of like what you said, he did have a choice. Mm-hmm. And I like how it's like they did like create like a new type of vampire, but they're still kind of sticking to some old rules because even with Angel, he was right there. The blood is right there, but he's dead. And, you know, his blood would have been cold. So who wants that, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he, you know, Aurora's right there and her blood is fresh and warm. And, but he chooses, um, you know, to, you know, not kill her. And I love the fact that he actually destroys the device, you mm-hmm. know? It was also really sweet the way uh, Aurora, she knew how to, like, bring him back again. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's just, it's just, it was dark and moody and, I mean, I I love it, but then it's like, I kind of hate it. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Just because I just wanted them just to be, I wanted things to go back to, you know, the way they were, Mm. you know? And I know that they already crossed that path and there's no way he could, he can go back. Yeah. No, it's not possible unfortunately. But um I kind of I kind of love that sometimes about horror films mm. when they do end in a neat way when it when they don't do that thing of kind of leaving it open for the possibility of a sequel. Mm. If that makes sense? It does. It does. I I think I'm just greedy. Just- <laughs> <laughs> um and before we move on to Nadja, um we we've both been gushing about this film, so it's very clear that we both love it. But do you think it works as a as a horror film? Like, how do you think it navigates this in between uh, a moody art house film and a full on gory vampire horror film? Well, I know that it's it's not like which we talked about earlier. I know that it's not the traditional vampire, even a traditional horror film, but I do feel that this is it still has those very dark elements and where it, it kind of plays with you. It plays psychologically mm-hmm. um, and it knows how to pull emotions. So, and then art wise, you know, it does have that artsy type of feel to it because visually it's mm-hmm. stunning. Mm-hmm. And even sometimes I want to say maybe 40 minutes of the film, or maybe that's too much, 30 minutes or so of the film, there's no dialogue. 
Yeah. Like if you like put everything, everything together, but it works, it's, it's hypnotic. It's creepy. Um, I feel like it's just a very like haunting film that mm-hmm. I feel like if you haven't seen it, you really, really should check it out. Yeah, I know this film is is a little bit lesser known. Maybe it's become better known since it was included in the Criterion Collection, which I know mm-hmm. is kind of like such a big um, start, like starting point for cinephiles who are looking for you know sort of quote unquote quality cinema. Right. Um, it, there's not that many horror films that are included in the in the Criterion Collection, mm-hmm. and I love that they've included the three. Spanish language horror films that Del Toro has made. Yes. This uh Kronos and Pan's Labyrinth and The Devil's Backbone, which is mm-hmm. which is like a, a Spanish based like Civil War era um horror film, which I still find very creepy. Like it genuinely oh creeps God. me out. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um so is there anything about Kronos that you wanted to talk about that we haven't discussed before we move on to our next film? I guess just just the last thing I kind of want mm-hmm. us to talk about how it feels kind of timeless. Yeah, what do you mean by that? I remember when I first watched the film. Mm-hmm. Um, that was in the nineties, mm-hmm. and I couldn't really tell what time they were in. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it felt like it, it was like maybe sixties, you know, seventies, mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. the eighties. I don't know. But then when I rewatched it. Um, like the the first time, like eight years ago, it was just kind of like I couldn't pinpoint, you know, the year. And I love the fact that even with the clothing, um, with the set design, like obviously there's no like cell phones or computers or anything like that. But mm. as an example, when he first one of the opening scenes, like with his car, his car looks kind of you know old, mm-hmm. but it looks like okay, well he's he's a man that enjoys vintage things, mm-hmm. you know. And then when he walks into his shop and one of the first items that I read that I just was just so in love with, there's like a golden cash register. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like, it's just so beautiful. Like there's there's so many things. So it's just like I, I just I couldn't tell exactly and I still can't tell what time it's supposed to be. But I know like technically they kind of did tell us. But say if you just you didn't see that part. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it didn't feel like it was like the late 90s. So but I don't know. That's just. Me. Yeah. Yeah. No, it does. I, I, I can see what you mean, because it doesn't it doesn't make a big deal out of when it's done. Like, you know, this film was shot in the early 90s and released in 93. So like, it, yeah, it's the present. That mm-hmm. That's all they're giving us. But none of it has aged right. as much because you're right because he's an antiquarian he's like an antiques dealer so he's already kind of dealing with older um with older stuff anyway and there's nothing you know aside from maybe you know the absence of digital devices or whatnot but yeah it does it doesn't feel aged visually that's for mm-hmm. sure um, and definitely doesn't feel like something that you instinctively say, oh, that's so 90s or that's right. extremely 80s. Yeah, yeah. But I, I don't know. Like, I I could be a little bit biased because <laughs> I I just feel like this movie is just perfection. So Bold statement, but I'm not <laughs> going to disagree with you. Because it's like, it does, like, it's really soothing, weirdly it enough. Is. It's like weird. Like, when I was rewatching it just 
earlier today. I was just, this is just like a dipping into a warm bath, except right? that there's a vampiric <laughs> device and tons of blood and someone licking blood of a before. Yeah, like that part made me so upset. It's just like, okay, <laughs> if you're going to do that, you better just lick quickly and go. That's it. Like... <laughs> Like, he was really enjoying it. Like The hesitation. But also, I mean, I'm not going to lie. We're recording this in a post-pandemic world. Or like, you know, a during-pandemic world. I instantly <laughs> thought, it's like, oh, that would, that is, that's the only thing that's aged. It's like, you would not be able to do that right? now, sir. Like, come on. Why would you do that? And then my thing is, if that's the case, why don't you just take his towel, you know? <laughs> take the towel that he had. Don't lick something off. Even if it's the counter in the bathroom, that's gross. And the guy who came out of the bathroom stall using his hands to wipe the blood, like, come on. what's That's gross. It's definitely pre-COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Although I gotta say, those marble countertops, beautiful. Right? That. What place? And you know what I realized? Like, okay, crazy thing is people, they don't always talk about this a lot, uh -huh. but Kronos is a Christmas movie. Wait, what? I'm sorry. I was yelling. Kronos <laughs> is... <laughs> I, I No, I love it. I'm, I genuinely have never thought about it as a Christmas movie. Wait, is it? Right? It is. And I and I didn't realize that. Even when I watched it like a while ago. So I, when I uh -huh. rewatched it yesterday, I'm just like, oh, it's a Christmas movie. It's a Christmas New Year's movie. Like... I need to keep that note, you know, <laughs> because oh people God. are always asking like, oh, what's a what's an underrated Christmas movie, mm -hmm. Christmas horror movie? Well, here you go. You know? So. Wow. Okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> I've just watched it earlier today and it did not. <laughs> it, yeah. it did not feel Christmassy to me, but you're right. It, it definitely doesn't. It, it's not mm -hmm. in your face, but I've noticed like their Christmas tree when, you know, he was... Federico's character was sliding down the stairs mm -hmm. in pure ecstasy <laughs> like whoa <laughs> you know and then um when he was licking the bathroom floor uh -huh. that's the new year's party you're right yeah new year's party i look forward to this popping up in one of your videos you know yes it's happening <laughs> see all because of you thank you and you're gonna get a shout out with it oh you <laughs> you made me realize this this is like such a discovery well, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so we've gushed a lot about Kronos. And for anyone who's been listening so far and hasn't seen it, um, please do, please do seek it out. It is really, yes. really amazing. Um, but I wanted to move on now to the second film that we're going to be discussing, Nadja from 1994. I was born by the Black Sea under the shadow of the Carpathian Mountains. I'm going to see my brother. Does he live on Carpathia? No. Brooklyn. In my head, it's like receiving a psychic fax. You will take us to him. I'm a relative. Can you identify the body? We will take the body. He's undead. If they don't destroy his body correctly, he'll be back. I'm being pretty. These creatures are everywhere. They invade your thoughts, then your heart. I can't believe I'm letting you do this to me. I think I'm in love. Listen, Jim. She's a zombie. They have powers. You can hear the blood in our veins. We're going to die. That's right. The family curse is selective. It goes way back from Romania. How do we find them? How do we fight them? It just seems to me you've gone through something and you haven't quite come out the other side. 
So this is this is extremely different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the reason I pair them together is because they're both vampire films that don't follow any vampire film rules and right. kind of live in this in between the art house and the horror space. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask you, kind of, now that we're digging into this film in particular. Had you seen it before? Was it on your radar? And you know what's crazy? I've never heard of it. Oh my god, amazing. Yeah, so what did you make of it? So okay, I'm not gonna lie. At mm-hmm. first, when it first started, I felt lost. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? You know? And I didn't know that I had at first, okay, let me take it way back. So I love buying blind buys, uh-huh. you know? And when I first like Googled it, it just popped up on YouTube that is uh-huh. available on YouTube to, yep. to watch because I was just going to like pick up the DVD mm-hmm. and um, cause you know how it is like the blind buys. It's fun. Sometimes you love it. Sometimes you don't, you yeah. know? <laughs> so, um, but I was like, Oh, it's right there on YouTube. So I rewatched it again last night mm-hmm. uh, just to have like a better feel of it. So, okay. When I first started watching it, I felt very lost. I'm mm-hmm. not too, I wasn't too sure exactly what was happening. But then, you know, towards the middle, I'm still, all right, I, I can follow what's going on, but it's just like, okay, uh, I don't know if this movie's for me, but mm-hmm. by the end of it, I loved it. Uh, that was a twist for me. I was fully expecting right? you to just go, <laughs> no, this film shit. No. <laughs> so tell me, that's, I love it when that happens because it happens so rarely. Right. So what made you love it in the end? So, okay, first off, it is like an independent horror. Or is it? Okay. Well, it is. <laughs> it's, I mean, we're going to discuss the extreme indie 90s vibes of it yeah. in a bit. <laughs> Yeah, it, it has like such a, okay, what was throwing me off about it, mm-hmm. I guess, is kind of how it has like a, what's the word? Um, The humor. It's very uh-huh. dry. Yeah. And okay. And I was just like, okay, well, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just not getting it. Maybe I'm not, you know, their, their audience, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, But I was like, you know what? I, I love the fact that I'm watching something new and, you know, I, I feel completely ignorant to say like, I've never heard of it before, mm-hmm. but looking back, I, I've never heard of it, but I think I've seen the poster before, you know, but I, I don't think I really paid much mind to it. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess like, I wasn't able to connect with it in the beginning. You know, it feels like I I, I was expecting to see more um, modern, which I feel like they, they, they achieved this, but I also, I wanted to see more of Mm -hmm. it, like a Mm -hmm. modern type of feel when it comes to um, Dracula, when it comes to with the vampires, because even with the character, Nadja, I mean, she looks so cool. And it's like, she's like a diva, you know? She's very, <laughs> she's very spicy. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. Like, I, I'm, you're giving me all types of ideas because I'm thinking about doing a list on undead divas or something because, Oh my God, I you love know, it. I want to right? watch like, right now. Right? Top undead divas? Like, that's, <laughs> that's amazing. But no, like I, I wasn't connecting with the characters, mm-hmm. you know, and I kind of felt like, okay, it kind of feels like the director is trying too hard, yeah, you know, because Dracula is already major, 
on its own. Like, you know, you're taking, you're kind of tackling something a little bit that might be too big for you. Mm -hmm. And then towards the middle of it, it's just kind of like, you kind of got used. Well, I felt like I got used to the world, used to the pacing, used Mm -hmm. to the dry humor, you know, and it kind of has like a a magic to it. Mm -hmm. Like it feels very dreamy, you Mm know? Um, and I kind of like that. It it felt, I don't know, like it it felt like serious, but then there was some, you know, funny parts. Well, maybe it's not funny and maybe I'm just inappropriate for laughing at certain things, but I don't know. It it had like a, it's very memorable, like Mm. even down to with David Lynch's quick, us quickly seeing him, you know? Oh yeah. Right. And so then just by the end of it, you know. First off, they actually do have like a straightforward story. So it's 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 probably something that, you know, um it's nothing like super deep or profound, but it is very straightforward. But by by the end of it, I don't know what it what it is about it, but mm-hmm. I just felt that okay, it's a wild vampire story, you know? Mm-hmm. And and just being able to like see with with some of the performances, like don't get me wrong, I don't feel like this movie is going to be for everyone. You know, I can totally see people not like vibing with it, but for the most part, I I liked it. I felt like it's stylish. It has like a great um sense again, like it feels dreamy but comic book like. Um, I kind of wish that even with the storyline, maybe if they it, it needs a little bit more amp to it, but. I mean, for the most part, like I enjoyed it. It's so interesting because I I'd also never seen this film before. Mm. Um, I'd I'd seen the poster, like I knew what it was, but I think I had an idea of it in my head that did not match with the actual film. Mm-hmm. But I really, I really wanted to watch it, and I'm a big sucker for these kind of art house horror films. I actually had the inverse journey to you, so I really dug it at the beginning. I was like. Yes, this is like a Portie's Head video, not just just this like preppy, spoiled Dracula's <laughs> daughter, bratty, like hanging out in New York, basically being like, I am just living off of my dad's money. I'm not really doing anything. Right. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just hanging out in bars, having a nice time. And, you know, the music is very much my jam. I love the visuals of it. Mm-hmm. The, the, I'm a, I love 90s cinema. So kind of when all of these people, all of these actors started popping up, like Martin Donovan, like mm-hmm. we'll talk about the Lynch cameo in a sec, but that just, I was on the floor laughing. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is, this is like a weird little Lynchian <laughs> vampire film that is just off the rails in this kind of explosion of creativity that existed in American indie cinema in the 90s. Sounds like I am here for this i love it <laughs> yes moody dracula daughter mm-hmm. i love it and then it kind of fizzled out for me Aww. so it's interesting that we had kind of the the opposite journeys with this mm-hmm. very strange little film <laughs> but let's just get it out of the way because the lynch cameo <laughs> i i cannot <laughs> he was so young at this he was such a he little was. baby <laughs> And you know what? I have to be honest with you. And usually when I tell people this, they never want to talk to me again. Are you going to tell me you're not a Lynch fan? (laughs) It's not that I'm not. It's just (laughs) something. (laughs) But sometimes with some of his films, Mm. I'm not super crazy about. Like how like some people like 
they just feel like it's just everything and more. Mm-hmm. And I think it would start it with me. I'm not saying that this movie is not a classic. It's a classic, but Eraserhead, like I was not a, fa- I'm like, I'm not a fan. I'm sorry. I can hear the listeners dropping off, Sina. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. You're they- a- a- absolutely your prerogative to not be a Lynch fan. Um, yeah. I mean, but I, I just picked up, well, a friend actually um, gifted me a Blu-ray of Lost Highway. Yes. So it's just, I'm really looking forward to watching that. And he knows me really well. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to check that out. And I did love um, Mulholland Drive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but it's just a racer head, you know? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it's a it's it's its own thing it's it's mm-hmm. an acquired taste yeah, yeah yeah for sure but uh yeah this does this film because lynch aside from the hilarious little cameo he makes <laughs> as the mortician's receptionist the mortuary receptionist <laughs> he's one of the executive producers on the film yeah um, does it feel lynchian yes and that's and i'm not gonna lie I'm not going to lie. So, okay, when when I when I saw that the movie was on um, YouTube, uh-huh. I was like, well, is this really it? So then I kind of like was scanning through some of the scenes and I saw him and I was like, no, because I thought <laughs> I thought that it was going, I thought that, you know, it was going to be like that. But I'm like, no, stop it. Let's go in with an open mind. Mm. And um, when I saw his character, well, I saw, you know, like you said, he, he's the receptionist or security <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. It made me laugh because it's just, <laughs> he was just there, just staring, mm. you know? I, I love Lynch when he puts himself in, in his movies or his projects because he's just so deadpan. <laughs> he is, yeah. Um, you alluded to the, um, to the very dry humor of this mm-hmm. film before. And it really also took me by surprise. It it took me a while to to understand whether the director was meaning for this to be a comedy mm-hmm. or whether it was just being very indie. Right, right. So did the did the deadpan humor work for you? It did. Like at first, um it took me a while to, you know, mm. realize like, okay, that's that's what it is. Because even with the dialogue, yeah, it just felt a little bit off. And I was like, wait, what? Like, you know, um, like I, I didn't feel connected with it. But once you realize, like, okay, this is how it that's the world that they're in. Because even some of the characters who who don't have any lines, mm. um, which this is kind of jumping ahead, but with the two guys who worked at the auto shop, yeah. that scene made me laugh for some reason. <laughs> like so but you know um i don't know i i i I liked it but you can understand if someone um if they didn't if they're not aware of that it could be kind of hard to again just kind of like vibe with it yeah i think if i had known that this film was really going for the kind of deadpan comedy vibe Mm -hmm. i would have had a different frame of mind going into it right um but like i i got into it pretty quickly like i mentioned i kind of really dug it from the very beginning and it kind of trailed off at the end for me but mm-hmm. i also love when i was looking up um how it was received at the time the fact that roger ebert the late great roger ebert referred to it as kind of deadpan noir <laughs> which i love as a, as a subgenre but you you mentioned the dialogue before some of the dialogue in this film is ridiculous. Yeah. 
Like, I, I wrote some of it down, Zena. That's how ridiculous oh, it was. Like, I literally have a whole notebook, a whole page of notes, and half of it is just lines. And my favorite one was like, this mouth is like a tiny poison guillotine. Oh my gosh, I remember that. I I was so confused. And then when she, this is jumping ahead again, but I just want to stay in the humor bit, because when... Nadja goes to uh, reconnect or confront her twin brother and mm-hmm. she's telling this this story and someone starts playing the harp for some reason. Oh time. yeah. <laughs> That's the part for me. I was like, "Wait, what?" Like it was just so distracting. What is happening? <laughs> I think that's the part that started losing me because I was like, there's a there's an actual harp in a scene. Though. But you know what? It's like at that point, they just had to do it. Like, yeah. you know, you already have everything else in there. So. <laughs> <laughs> and that thing about, uh, I just got to read it out as well. It's, it's just when um, Martin Donovan's character, his, his girlfriend, Lucy, his wife, Lucy, is... Um, starting to transform into a vampire because she's been bitten by Nadja mm-hmm. and he's like she gets this she gets that Sunday afternoon depression every day now oh my gosh like <laughs> he's a terrible husband but like <laughs> yeah, the thing is with with Lucy when she first mm. um like with her interacting with with Nadja I was kind of confused at that part mm-hmm. still um I keep saying that I, I was confused but I, I was like seriously mm-hmm. I felt really confused because it was just kind of like okay you're a married woman and you seem like at first you know when um <laughs> her husband gets knocked out and he's in the ring and they kind of use that opportunity to tell us about their relationship yeah like that part was just like oh my god no right but then um when she meets Nadja and it's just like she just has some type of attraction towards her mm-hmm. I was confused but then I realized okay well but Nadja is like a vampire she has that you know that sexy power you know Mm. (laughs) so that's just like it's radiating and that's just how it is and it's just seemed like she was feeling uh lucy was feeling a little bit off i don't i don't know if it's just like you know empty about her life or her marriage Mm. there was just something going on there so i mean in a way i get it it kind of makes sense that that would happen Mm. um between the two you know um because you know they have their sexy time together but um i felt like the dialogue when she was talking to Nadja felt a little bit off you know mm-hmm. and and that's when i think that that was around the 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 part that i realized oh dry humor you know yeah. that's when it connected for me yeah because at the when they first meet i it it was it was like this random these two strangers talking very intensely in a bar and i (laughs) i made a note of it as well it's like this is a whole in the in the 90s (laughs) subgenre of just intense conversations with strangers and bars things Mm -hmm. that would never happen in cinema now um and but there was you know filmmakers who made their entire careers based off of that (laughs) subgenre right but um there's there's one other thing that kind of I think is really interesting about this film outside of the the slightly weird deadpan humor um and it's the way that it's filmed kind of the aesthetics of it mm. what did you make of the visual language of it honestly I, I I dug it like at first I did it because it's just like okay but why is it in black and white mm. like I wasn't too, I wasn't too sure but I'm gonna stick with that that feeling of it felt dreamy 
And I think mm-hmm. that they kind of wanted to keep it in in that type of sense. And it felt like it was like very dramatic, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love that it was very like, okay. It felt like it was supposed to be like a reflection of Naja mm-hmm. because again, you know, it, it is titled after her. So mm-hmm. it is, <laughs> you know, it is about her and how she feels. And even though she is spoiled and she's, you know, this undead diva that's ruling the world and stuff. Um, there is something that she feels, I don't know, like there, there's something about her that perhaps feels like, I don't want to say, I keep using hopeless, mm-hmm. but, you know that kind of feeling at least that's 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 what that's how i took it you know it kind of was supposed to be like a reflection reflection of her type of surroundings and and how she felt yeah i like that it's like a little bit melancholic a little bit dramatic right a little bit intense and also there's this like did you notice these really interesting inserts that he did that were kind of supposed to, I, I read this after, I, mean, I think I read it at some point. I don't know if it was before or after I watched the film um, of like doing kind of vampire vision where there's like oh. moments in the film that are filmed with a different camera mm-hmm. um, called the pixel vision, the yeah. pixel vision camera. And it looks kind of like a little bit, um, a little, little bit less high quality yes a little yes, bit more like okay. a pinholy camera yeah and what's really fun this like uh, uh, sorry for a digression but i've gotten to the bad habit of kind of looking up what <laughs> what filmmakers did around the time that they made something or kind of what they went on to do if their names are not if you know if they don't have if they're not like del toro or someone super right. recognizable and this guy uh the director of nadja uh, the director of Nadia, Michael Almereda, he, I, di- I didn't, his name didn't sound familiar, but turns out he directed Hamlet, like the 2000 Whoa. version of Hamlet. <laughs> you know, the one where he does the soliloquy in a blockbuster video? Yeah. <laughs> and he's used this little camera, this pixel vision camera in that film as well, which Hamlet uses all the time. That's and, crazy. Wow. Like, in every single one of his projects. Like that, that camera insane. only was on the market for like a year. Again, sorry, nerdy um, wormholes <laughs> that I dived into. But it was only in the market for like a year. And he used it in this film for kind of not just point of view. And then in Hamlet and in all of his other stuff as well. Because he loved the, he loved this weird, it's like a, like a filmic Polaroid, I guess, is the easiest mm-hmm. way to describe it. Mm. You know, what's crazy is that, okay, I just thought that maybe the copy of YouTube was off. That's <laughs> what I was it. Yeah, I was like, wait, what? Ugh, whatever. You know, yeah. <laughs> you just have to keep going. But that makes sense. Like, yeah, because it, sometimes it would get like, like, it was very pixelated. Yeah. It's really cool. I mean, yeah, I wish I wish there was like a, a more higher def version of the film to be able to appreciate it. Because I do think it's quite beautifully filmed. It is. It is. It really is. And you were talking a little bit about Nadja as a as an undead diva, uh, <laughs> which, to be honest, they should have put on a poster. But um, what what do you make of her um of how she evolves? Because she goes from kind of a a sort of vampire socialite almost that's not really doing anything mm-hmm. to kind of having a quite intense bloodlust and and being the villain that everybody gangs up against. 
Yeah, I'm I'm not too sure why she kind of turned like that, mm. to be honest, because it's just like, if you would have just stayed the same, I, I think you could have still been fabulous, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, you still would have been, been fine. It's like, you know, because we know the, the, the ending um, with Cassandra, so mm-hmm. it's just, you know, which we'll, we'll get to that. But, um, yeah, I wasn't too sure why she decided to even... Um, I know that she she wanted to get revenge. I I got that part, but then even the part with with um Edgar, that's her brother, right? The yeah, yeah. I wasn't too sure why there was issues between those two. Yeah, it's not really explained. Yeah, so it's like I don't know if that, that's just like old rivalry, or you know, since you know her father's not around, it's like at this point, you know, let's go ham. You know, I don't know if 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 that's where where that came. Mm -hmm. and it's like again like i did watch it i mean maybe i need to watch it again but i did watch it twice and i thought like maybe the first time i missed it you know um but i'm I'm still not too sure like why she did that so i say that since i'm confused as because like i try to understand like most people i just i try to understand like the characters and you know their motives uh for for doing certain things Mm -hmm. and for that i i don't like we got that again kind of like what you stated earlier in the beginning, she is like spoiled and privileged and mm-hmm. there's just things that she can do. She can do whatever she wants. So why the change now? That's kind of the same confusion that I got for me. Although, you know, I love a, I love a female villain, mm-hmm. uh, especially a vampire one. But I kind of didn't, it didn't, I didn't feel terribly well written to me, mm-hmm. that arc. Um, Although the psychic facts thing also was hilarious. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah. And we... <laughs> I didn't what before um I ask you about the next thing I wanted to kind of what did you think about the performance by Alina Lowenson I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that correctly who plays Nadja oh, I thought like she did like such a great job like I looked her up mm. um just to see like what what she's up to and what she's doing and it's like she's she's so beautiful yeah, she's <laughs> like gorgeous. she's right it's just like I feel like she needs to be in like everything um <laughs> But I loved her performance. I believed her, you know. Um, you you feel you don't really feel bad for her, you know, because it's just like she's just spoiled and stuff. But I don't know if it's like a um maybe th- this this might sound a little bit off and maybe this kind of answers the question that we were mm-hmm. asking before, like, hey, why would she do this? Okay, perhaps, perhaps, you know, mm-hmm. with the character, um, she feels like she shouldn't be doing certain things anymore. Like she shouldn't be, uh, I don't want to say like going to bars and mm-hmm. you know what I mean? That, that, that type of lifestyle, maybe she's just done with that. So it makes me say that where it's just like, okay, I, you can see like her transitioning, like the, the way she just changes throughout the film, like her, her character development, mm-hmm. which at first in the beginning, again, like I just kind of, I, I wasn't really feeling it. And I felt that, you know, perhaps the director and writer, maybe they're trying too hard, but I love the development of her character. Mm-hmm. And I love just, you know, Alina's Alina, right? Yeah. Yes. Her performance. I won't try to pronounce her last name, <laughs> but I, I, I love her performance and she's just like gorgeous. So. Yeah, she is. And like, I think the fact that she's got this sort of, same as Bella Lugosi, who played mm-hmm. the first Green Dracula, has this sort of ethereal foreign beauty. Yes, you know, like she doesn't she doesn't look um, like 
like a classic like she looks like she doesn't belong wherever mm-hmm. she is yeah and and that's kind of a, a, a vampiric vibe as well that I think works really well for um for performances and she made me really think of Dracula's Daughter the 1936 mm-hmm. film yeah as well kind of this vibe of just there's something really slightly off but also alluring about her mm-hmm. and I I do have to ask you I think about Peter Fonda <laughs> as Van Helsing. Yeah. Um, Where to begin? Yeah, there's just so much. He's just so crazy. Like <laughs> He's doing a lot. He's doing so much, but it's just kind of like, you know what? I would want to hang out with him. You would know? You? <laughs> he seemed like he would be a good time. He's like that crazy uncle that you never know what you're going to get yourself into. Yes. Now, no, you can't see him often. Like, no, not every weekend, maybe no. every two months, you know, if you want to have a good time, perhaps where you feel like your life is flashing before your eyes. <laughs> you know, like the that scene in the elevator with the sun, like his sunglasses. Oh, <laughs> oh my God, that scene. <laughs> it was just odd you know but it's just like you just i don't know i believe him like (laughs) i'm like at a certain point you kind of decide you know what yes there's a harp yes there's david lynch yes there's peter fonda in a very long very weird wig (laughs) yeah what was up with that like i get it like you know he's supposed to be that character but it's modern times he doesn't have to have that wig on like honestly the choices in this film <laughs> are bizarre <laughs> but sometimes yeah. you kind of i quite like these sort of weird out there films where i'm just i don't i don't know what you're doing here but right. you know what i'm i'm okay i'm in for the ride <laughs> it's like and that's that's what i mean where it's that's what i know we didn't get to like the ending but mm. it's like by that point with like that elevator scene where you know this is where it started to change for me where I like started to like really dig the movie Mm. because and it's like sometimes you don't really know that like (laughs) that you like a movie and it's so weird because like the first time I watched it I felt lost and was like Mm. you know I don't know what am I gonna tell Anna you know (laughs) (laughs) but then you know I rewatched it and I I I had a better feel for Mm. it you know and I didn't mind it wasn't like a, a horrible task like oh my gosh I have to rewatch it you know I felt good going into it and I felt that way about um there's this movie by this um there's this film uh directed by this Mexican director uh-huh. Carlos Enrique uh Taboda I'm probably pronouncing his name wrong but it's called Poison for the fa- <gasps> for the fairies yeah right oh my God. right you've yes. seen it you love it okay yes. but <laughs> This is why we're so connected, Anna. This happened last time as well when you mentioned something about a scene and I just, I couldn't, I I had to like turn around so I wasn't screaming into the microphone. (laughs) Oh, like I did earlier. (laughs) Yeah. So, yes. But no, if you ever do an episode Mm. on Poison for the Fairies, please let me know. Writing it down right now. (laughs) But no, this is, the same thing kind of happened with me with Poison for the Fairies. Mm -hmm. When I watched it, I, it's, it's so weird because when I heard about the movie, I'm like, how did I never, there's a point to this. I promise that ties back in, (laughs) that ties back into Nadja. 
Okay. So um, when I first heard of Poison for the Fairies, mm-hmm. first off, the title was just like, excuse me, what is that? Why have I not seen it? I need mm-hmm. it in my life. Mm-hmm. And then reading the synopsis, it's like, okay, first off, this is totally my jam. Mm-hmm. Again, why have I not watched it? Mm-hmm. So then um, I was able to find a copy. I watched it and I, throughout the movie, it was just like, I was intrigued, Mm -hmm. but I was just kind of like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I feel a little bit lost. What's this girl's problem? You know? (laughs) And then by the end, I was just like, yeah, I don't know if I, if I like it or not, because I I watched it with my husband and, you know, he's, he's used to watching some stuff that's, you know, um, not so great sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, but I don't really know how he felt about it, but I was just kind of like, man, I don't, I don't know how I feel about it. Cause he asked me like, well, what mm-hmm. did you think about it? And I'm like, I don't know, you know? Yeah. And so then a couple of weeks go by and mm-hmm. I find that I'm still thinking about this movie mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh my gosh, I love it. Like I, mm-hmm. I, that's, that's how I know. So this is kind of what happened with the movie Nadja. So the first time when we first started talking about, you know, um, doing this episode mm. you invited me on because you said i'm special no you didn't say that but when you invited, <laughs> it's implied <laughs> yes yes <laughs> but when you invited me on i'm like okay cool so like i was searching for it and then mm. i found that i was like let me just give it one watch and then that way before we we mm-hmm. talk i'll be able to like rewatch it and i didn't know what to think about it you know a couple mm-hmm. of days go by a week or two and it's like oh i'm still kind of thinking about it but i still felt lost but then it just kind of came back together so i i took you down that long windy road of me talking just to say that i feel like that happens to me often where i'll watch a movie and i'm not too sure how to feel about mm-hmm. it or i feel confused mm-hmm. um but i feel like that's a good thing you know um because then it has me for me it is because it keeps me thinking about it I and then I'm idea. able to like piece it together. That's when films kind of stick with you and you don't exactly know why. Right, right. Yeah. And I'm I'm conscious of of taking up so much of your time. So one of the things I wanted to hear your thoughts about was actually the ending of Nadja. What yes. did you make of it? <laughs> um, I actually love the ending. <laughs> Because <laughs> Nadja, once again, just proves to us that she is that undead diva and she is <laughs> she is taking over the world, but spicing it up. You know, <laughs> she was that's what makes me say, like, OK, maybe mm-hmm. she was just ca- kind of tired of her life and mm-hmm. she kind of wanted something new. And now she's literally a whole new person. Mm hmm. You know, like when that, when I heard her voice, Mm -hmm. you know, um, narrating that part, I was like, oh, it was just so shocking, you know, um, because I didn't expect it. I just thought that, you know, she, she died and, you know, that was that, um, because she seemed like she was contempt and, you know, she was ready to move on. But yeah, I kind of feel like (laughs) it kind of just seems like it just kind of, um, worked out still in, in, in her, in her favor. Like, yeah. And it's like she, it's those that I have to admit, like I, hearing you talk about it, you're convincing me to like it more oh. than I did uh, when I when I watched it. But there is something that I like, e- even hearing you kind of compare it to Poison and the Fairies and stuff. There's something about the ending that feels quite magical, mm-hmm. whereas the rest of the film for big chunks of the film are quite clinical like there's a lot of kind of hospital vibes to a lot of the scenes particularly right. with Edgar and the way that they do the transfusions and stuff that stuff the the fact that like Dracula is cremated you mm-hmm. know and they kind of she goes around with this uh, with his ashes so there's a lot of kind of clinical hospital things 
And the fact that then we get this very eerie narration, uh, this voiceover at the end and kind of her face floating and her saying that she's now living through Cassandra. Right. It kind of adds the magic back into into a vampiric tale mm -hmm. as opposed to just kind of they've killed her, they've cut her cut her head off, burned her, she's gone. It's like, mm, not really. Right. And what's kind of weird, mm -hmm. that's her brother. So Oh yeah. You're cool with that? That's that's weird. But I mean, again, I guess she wanted some razzle dazzle in I her mean, life. The vibe between Nadja and Edgar is 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 it's on the it's on the limit of the incestuous throughout the whole film. Yeah. It's it's kind of always there, but never fully <laughs> dealt with. Right. Yeah. But it's just again, it's just very shocking. And and mm -hmm. honestly, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, me either. So that's I don't know. Like you said, I, I think you described it right. It kind of brought more magic or brought the magic. And to be honest, if a horror film or, you know, an art house horror film can still surprise two seasoned horror watchers like the mm -hmm. both of us, like, do you know what? It's worth it. Right? It's just and that's what I mean. So I we were confused or I, you know, mm -hmm. I was confused, you know, I wasn't too sure what to think, but then I realized like, okay, but it has like these elements that, that, that I really like. And obviously there's some stuff that I wasn't like a huge fan of, mm -hmm. but overall, um, especially because I had no problem like rewatching it. That's mm -hmm. how I knew that I was like a fan. And before we wrap up kind of what, what bits of it didn't work for you? Okay. So, <laughs> So I'm not the biggest fan of the relationship between Lucy and um, Jim. Is it her her husband? Yeah, it's Jim. Right, and it's it's crazy because I love the character. Well, I love the actor um, Martin Donovan who mm -hmm. plays Jim. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that he is fantastic. But their relationship, it, it, it I, I'm not too sure why they are together. You know, mm -hmm. um, and even when they're in scenes together, th it doesn't seem like there's quite a connection. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, it's kind of like I did want to see. I don't feel like we we actually were able to see the character Nausea a lot. Mm -hmm. And I would like to have seen her more. I, I mean, especially with her, like really just attacking victims. I know that sounds mm -hmm. like off, but that's what I wanted to see. Let us see this privileged you know, high class, you know, vampire in action. Mm -hmm. And um, and I just wasn't too sure about that. And then even with Edgar, um, I get it. Like, you know, I we kind of talked about this. I get why he's in the film and, mm -hmm. and, and stuff, but I don't know what the problem, you know, what his problem was with Nadja and what her problem was with him. Mm -hmm. Why do they not, you know, get along? And then, okay, first off, now she has to be his, or not has to be, she's choosing to, to be his wife when she's in someone else's body. So that kind of didn't work for me. And mm -hmm. sometimes, um, I want to say maybe just, just ending it off. Mm -hmm. I want to say like the first 30 minutes, it's kind of hard. It was hard for me to get into. And, you know, but after that mark, you kind of like easing your way into it. Then it gets more, you feel more comfortable, more connected with it. And cause you know how it is when you start a movie and you have to like get invested in everything. Mm -hmm. But you know, from the start, I wasn't like a fan of anybody. Like yeah. it was just kind of like, okay, you know, they're in Brooklyn. Okay, cool. And then you see Lucy, she's just un this unhappy 
wife and it's like but why are you unhappy okay but you're 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 not that great you know so (laughs) i mean that's that's how i felt like character wise but then yeah once i I was able to learn then it was better (laughs) they seem to be unhappy because they're it's the 90s and it's a black and white indie movie (laughs) i mean yeah yeah see and so and and it took me some time (laughs) you know to, to get in that headspace but you know it works before we wrap up, is there anything about Nadja that we haven't touched upon that you wanted to bring up? I mean, I, I think that we, we, we covered it all. It, it is a very strange movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. There's a harp. There's Peter Fonda in a wig. There's David Lynch. It's very strange. I got to shout yes. out the soundtrack, though. The soundtrack oh, yeah. and the sound design, the soundscape is mm-hmm. amazing. It is. It is. If anybody's kind of into uh, new wave or sort of 90s, more trip hop vibe music, like mm-hmm. Portis Head and stuff like that. Oh, my God. It's it's it it kind of feels and looks like a Portis Head music video. Yeah. And there's a lot of Portis Head music in it. It's it, it has like such a it, the soundtrack adds like a different like feel to it, mm-hmm. you know, um, because it is artsy, but it was just, with the music, though. It's like, wait a minute. What's that? You know, and in a yeah. good way. It's got it's got a little more texture with it because of the sound. Like if this did not have such a rich soundtrack and soundscape, mm-hmm. I I to be honest, I probably would not have liked it. Oh, okay. Look at that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's like it's good. I like I would listen to it. Maybe not watch it, but I would definitely <laughs> listen to it. <laughs> Zina, thank you so much for your time and for your insight in both of these films. I'm happy that. I got to surprise you with Nadja. Well, yeah, of course. And thank you. Thank you for, I always have so much fun talking with you. I'm sorry if I talked your ear off and she's like, it's so excited. You make me feel so comfortable. So <laughs> that, that's why I ask you back on a podcast is that you can talk my ear off. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, it's always just such a great time oh, talking you. You know, movies with you. But no, and, and thank you for, for this movie. I don't think I would have ever watched it. Well, that's that's what I'm here for. Just dive deep into the Wikipedias and the IMDb's <laughs> and then come up with weird horror films that <laughs> not that many people have yes. watched. <laughs> so, Zena, where can people find more of your work online and what are you up to now? So, um, I'm always on Twitter. Twitter is my life, mm-hmm. even though I didn't really tweet a lot today. <laughs> but for the most part, it's it's my life. Um, You can check me out. Lovely Zena. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm on uh, Instagram and YouTube. You just type in Real Queen of Horror. And if you want to read some stuff, realqueenofhorror.com. I also have like a weekly podcast. I'm, I'm, I'm a co-host with Megan and John, you know, Bloody Disgusting uh, podcast. So you guys can check that out for horror news. Um, I also give some recommendations. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Anna. And that's it for this episode of the Pino Girls podcast. You can find us on all podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your shows. If you can, do take the time to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It truly helps a lot. And you can find out more about what we do over on thefinalgirls.co.uk. Subscribe to our weekly newsletter of curated horror treats and follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at The Final Girls UK. If you can, head over to our Patreon at forward slash The Final Girls, where we will be posting bonus episodes on more goodies to come. You can also follow Zena on Twitter at LovelyZena, and I am at AnnaBeDemented. Thank you for listening, and next week, we are tackling the entire Blade trilogy. It's going to be a good time. <laughs>